How many of you remember the first time you took communion? How many of you remember the first time you took communion perhaps in an Adventist church? I remember years ago, it's about 20 years, coming up on 20 years ago, was the first time I attended an Adventist church and took communion. As many of you know, my story, my background, and the first time I was introduced to communion was uh, when I took my grandmother to church as a Roman Catholic, two times a year she would go for communion. And that was the only time she ever went to church, Christmas, Easter. I don't know what it is, but maybe that's just something very special that I feel that only two times a year they need this. But anyways, um, I remember taking her there and going through the ceremony, and, uh, and then I would take her home. And it wasn't until several years later after God took my life and began to work in my heart and change me that I came to understand more about true communion. And I remember the first time I went to an Adventist church, I, I had just gone out of federal prison. I got out on December 31st. Praise the Lord. Way to start a new life, right? And um, I was living in a homeless shelter, like I said, about 20 years ago. And I talked one of the other uh, people in the shelter to go to church with me. And I wanted to make sure I got there on time. And I had a little brochure that told me uh, the different Adventist churches in the area in South Bend. And I remember reading about one was over on Colfax. And so I thought, well, that's kind of close. I remember seeing that street wasn't too far away. We'll go there. So we walked out of the shelter. And my wife can tell you I'm not very good with directions. Praise God for GPS. I turned the wrong way. And after walking several blocks, we realized that uh, we weren't quite going in the right direction. But I came across a street called Altgeld. Altgeld happened to tea right on the main street there. So I thought, you know what? I remember there's a church on that street. So we began walking on that street. We walked for probably over an hour and a half. Walking through the neighborhoods, my friend's telling me, look, come on, there's no church around here. Let's just go back. It was 15 degrees out. I tell you, friends, I was desperate. I want to go to church. I don't know about you, but I want to be with God's people. And so we finally, we get there. Little did we know, we walked from South Bend to Mishawaka. <laughs> Praise the Lord. We got a brochure. The people were, that did the bulletin were just pulling up, got a fresh bulletin right off the press, looked at the time they started the next morning, we walked back to the shelter. We got up early enough, bundled up, it was 15 degrees again, and we made our, our way there. I remember coming into the church, and when you're new in church, you usually sit up front, and the longer you've been in church, you kind of move back to the back. I don't know what that is, what that's all about, but that's usually how it happens. But we came right up to the front, we sat down, we listened to the, the devotional thought that took place uh, prior to the emblems being passed out. We went for the foot washing. Now, I had never experienced this before. I remember going to the room and sitting down. I just sat down in a chair thinking, who's going to wash my feet? I didn't understand the whole meaning behind all of this. And this young man, this young African man came up. He said, hey, do you have somebody to serve you? And I said, no, I don't. And he served me and he prayed with me and he kind of led me to understand a little more about what this means. Praise God for young people that know what it means. And so that we came back in and they lined up on the table and the emblems came around and uh, my friend was a Lutheran 
and he had taken communion before, and as they handed out the emblems, when I got the bread, I just put it in my mouth. And he started laughing, and I looked around, and I noticed nobody else did that, and I pulled it back out of my mouth because I hadn't started chewing it yet. <laughs> I was embarrassed. I waited for them to say something, and then I, then I took it. You know, friends, praise God for the service that we have here before us today. And I invite you to bow your heads as I kneel and pray, and as we look through the scriptures, as we follow the, the footsteps of Jesus and the upper room experience, may God speak to our hearts today. Let's pray. Loving Father, thank you for calling us to do this in remembrance of thee, of the great sacrifice your son has made. Father, as we open the pages of Scripture, as we read from inspiration, speak to us. We know that when we come, you are here, for you said where two or three are gathered in your name, you are in the midst of them. May your spirit prevail in our hearts today and bind us up as one in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd invite you to turn your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. We're going to start on verse 17. It's Matthew chapter 26, starting with verse 17. It says, Now on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying unto him, Where wilt thou that we prepare for thee to eat the Passover? And he said, Go into the city to such a man, and say unto him, The master says, My time is at hand, and I will keep the Passover at thy house with my disciples. I want you to think about that for a moment. I don't believe that this man had a foreknowledge that Jesus and his disciples were going to eat the Passover at his place. You read in some of the other Gospels, and you'll find that he told them, go look for this man, look for this home, and they go, they find it, and lo and behold, it's prepared for somebody. Now, friends, I want to encourage you because God says at times, in entertaining strangers, we may be entertaining angels. And oftentimes when we come to church, we have fellowship meals, but when we do not, I want to encourage you, be prepared to minister to somebody that may come to church. Maybe it's a visitor, maybe it's somebody new in the community, but be prepared to connect with those new faces and say, you know what, do you have anywhere to eat today? Well, no, I don't. Would you like to join us for a fellowship meal? Well, yes, I would. I'll tell you, when I first started going to the church, I was thankful when somebody came up to me and said, you are new, and I said, yes, I am. Where are you eating? I said, I don't know. Your house, maybe. <laughs> yes, they'd invite me, and I loved it. I loved the fellowship. So let us take note of this and be prepared for those visitors at times. Verse 19, and the disciples did as Jesus had appointed them, and they made ready the Passover. Now when the evening was come, he sat down with the twelve. And as they did eat, 
he said, Verily I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. And they were all exceedingly sorrowful and began to, every one of them, to say to him, Lord, is it I? They were taken back at the fact that how could it be that one of us here would betray you and to whom? How could this be? They immediately started searching their hearts, thinking about how they have been walking with Jesus over the past several years, their experiences, and what he may be talking about. It tells us here in Desire of the Ages, page 654 and 655. At these words, amaze, at these words amazement and consternation seized them. They could not comprehend how any of them could deal treacherously with their divine teacher. For what cause could they betray him and to whom? Whose heart could give birth to such a design? Surely not one of the favored 12 who had been privileged above all others to hear his teachings, who had shared in his wonderful love and for whom he had shown such great regard by bringing them into close communion with himself. As they realized the importance of his words and remembered how true his sayings were, fear and distrust seized them. They began to search their own hearts to see if one thought against their master were harbored. With the most painful emotion, one after another inquired, Lord, is it I? Now, the problem was that he was with a group of people that he had been ministering to for three and a half years, and they were still fighting among themselves. There was still division. There was not unity. There was still pride in the heart. There was still self-seeking. There was still a desire to be first among them. And Jesus was seeking to bring it to their attention, especially Judas, of their condition. He was willing to minister to them, willing to forgive, willing to move forward with them, but he was seeking to awaken within their conscience the sin that lie within their heart and the challenges that they would have to face. They were self-seeking. Who would be the greatest? Pride and selfishness filled their hearts. Envy and strife was in their midst. Bitterness was in the heart of some. In his statements, one will betray me. And later to Peter, that he would deny him and that all would forsake him. His warning was to them an importance of self-examination. Now, there's two quotes. I, I woke up very early this morning. I couldn't sleep. There were two quotes that I, I looked up that came to my mind that are quite concerning. I want to read them to you because I think, I think they have significant importance for us today. In the context of what was taking place in the upper room and Jesus was seeking to get them to self-examine themselves, I want to read these two quotes. The first one comes from Last Day Events. Speaking, Ellen White says this, in vision, she's in vision, I saw two armies terrible in terrible conflict. One army was led by the banner, banners bearing the world's insignia. The other was led by the bloodstained banner of Prince Emmanuel. Standard, listen, standard after standard was left to trail in the dust. 
as company after company from the Lord's army joined the foe. And tribe after tribe from the ranks of the enemy united with the commandment-keeping people of God. Now, we can say, yes, praise God for the tribe after tribe that would join God's commandment-keeping people, but woe and how heartbreaking to think that so many of the faith would betray their brethren and deny their Christ and leave and join the ranks of the enemy. But, but she saw it, friends, in vision, so it is true. We see it has happened over the years, over the history of the Christian faith. I believe some of us have even experienced and seen it over the last couple of years. Family members, shunning family members, church members, trampling upon the conscience of others. We have seen the betrayal. We have seen the division, and we are not even in the crisis in which she is speaking of. Another quote comes from Christian service. It is a solemn statement that I make to the church that not one in 20 whose names are registered upon the church books are prepared to close their earthly history and would be as verily without God and without hope in the world as the common sinner. Why do I bring these up? Brothers, sisters, I want to see you all make it. I want to make it. And the only way we're going to make it, and that's if we humble ourselves now, we reconcile where we know reconciliation needs to take place, we humble ourselves, and if we know there's division among us, we go and we pray together. You may have to, be it may be that you're in the right and your brother or sister is in the wrong but go to them and ask them what you have done how have you have offended them kneel down and plead with them to pray with you and ask for the holy spirit to bring reconciliation if you're in a marriage and you have trouble in your marriage go to one another kneel down and pray don't let satan have the victory over your soul don't let him sow bitterness in your heart and you find yourself at the end undone unable to stand when the crisis comes it's heartbreaking to think that so many would leave but after the last couple of years i could see that it would be true but i pray it's not either you or I. Let us learn humility now. Let us put away pride. Let us submit to God and learn what it means to love one another as Christ has loved us. Now is the time for us to form a character like Christ. If we are not learning these lessons now, we will not learn them in the time of trial and tribulation. It is now is the time. The day of his salvation is now, Jesus would say. Yes, they spent some time searching their hearts. And they ate the emblems. And then Jesus would watch to see who would serve who. Turn with me to your Bibles to John chapter 13. Each gospel gives a little different insight on this upper room experience. John chapter 13. 
He had broke the bread. He shared it with them. He gave and the, the pure grape juice and passed it among them. They ate. They drank. He explained to them it was his New Testament. This is the New Testament that he's putting forth. His body was to be broken. His blood spilt for them. Yet they still harbored some of these feelings. And what could he do but maybe act the act of a servant to arouse their attention to their own condition? John chapter 13, starting with verse 2. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Now, you go back and you read Desire of the Ages and you'll find that the first person whose feet he washed was Judas. He had a love for Judas. His heart broke. You'll read in there that his heart would cry out for the salvation of Judas as it, he wept for Jerusalem as he saw the doomed city and what was to come. He loved this man and longed for him to yield to him so that he could cleanse his soul and set him free. But Judas would not. It actually it thrilled him. It touched him. It moved him. But he allowed pride to rise up and get the better of him. He would make his way around the table. Then he came to Simon Peter, verse 6. And Peter said unto him, Lord, does thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do now thou knowest not, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter said unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. He was appalled at the fact that Jesus would do this and Jesus answered him and said, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. I want you to think about this. Now, last week I preached about being born again. And how are we born again, friends? What was the main emphasis I brought out? We're born again by what? Come on now. I know everybody was, not all of you were here, but the ones that were here. How are we born again? By the word of God. How are we cleansed? By the word of God. Wasn't Jesus the word incarnate? Now think about this. He's the word right there. And he tells Peter, if I cleanse you not, you have no part with me. Friends, if the word of God is not cleansing our soul, if we are not submitting to the principles, the commandments, and the counsel in these pages, we will not be cleansed. We are ultimately denying our Savior. It says here in Desire of Ages, page 646, the service which Peter, Peter refused was the type of a higher cleansing. Christ had come to wash the heart from the stain of sin. In refusing to allow Christ to wash his feet, Peter was refusing the higher cleansing included in the Lord. He was really rejecting his Lord. And so when we read something in the Bible and it cuts across our lifestyle, when it cuts across our habits and our character and we deny and we refuse to submit ourselves to it, what we are telling Jesus, you shall not wash me and make me clean. 
Friends, I want to encourage you, when if you're struggling with something, know that he provides a sufficient grace. If you're challenged, whatever it is in your character or lifestyle or something, a habit you're prone to doing, take it to the Lord in prayer and let him work in your heart. He longs to do it as he longed to wash Judas's feet. He longs to wash each and every one of us. And Peter, when he would come to understand, he said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. In other words, cleanse my mind. Jesus knew, and he would tell him, Peter, you would deny me. Peter would not believe it. He would say, Lord, even though they all forsake you, I will not. And Jesus would say to Peter, you know what? Satan has come to sift you, but I have prayed for you. What a beautiful promise. So when you find yourself being sifted by the enemy, know that Jesus is praying for you. May we be encouraged. So friends, let us cooperate with our Savior and let him cleanse our soul. As they walked out and they went to Gethsemane, he felt the Father's presence drawing away. The weight of the sin of the world was beginning to weigh him down. He would leave some disciples in one place. He would take a few to another, and he'd ask them to pray for him, and he would go a little further. He would fall prostrate on the ground as if not desiring to be drawn any further from the Father's presence, and he would hang on, and he would pray and plead with God, Father, if this cup cannot pass from me except I drink it, thy will be done. I appreciate what John Hinkle brought out in the Sabbath school class on the panel, that when they came to the garden to get him, after this wrestling with God, when they came to the garden to get him, they said, he said, who do you come looking for? They, and he said, they said, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I am he. And they all fell back. The glory of God shined through him, and it was as if the Father was giving him an opportunity to escape. He could have got away, but he was a willing sacrifice for you and I. In the garden, friends, three times he had uttered the prayer. Three times his humanity shrank from that last crowning sacrifice. But now the history of the human race comes up before the world's redeemer. He sees that the transgressors of the law, if left to themselves, must perish. He sees the helplessness of man. He sees the power of sin. The woes and lamentations of a doomed world rise before him. He beholds the impending fate, and his decision is made. He will save you and I at whatever cost to himself. He accepts his baptism of blood that through him perishing millions may gain everlasting life. He has left the courts of heaven where all is purity, happiness, and glory to save the one lost sheep, the world that has fallen by transgression. And he will not turn from his mission. He will become the propitiation of a race that is willed to sin. His prayer now only breathes submission. If this cup may not pass for me except I drink it, thy will be done. Friends, may we appreciate and may our hearts be moved by the great sacrifice of our Savior Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you, take time, 
gather your family together. Read the Desire of the Ages, three chapters. Read it all, but these three chapters, Servants of Servants, Gethsemane, and Calvary. Read it prayerfully and let the Spirit of God unite your heart with His. We're now going to depart for the foot washing ceremony. When we come back and we, we share the emblems, our closing song was a song my wife and I and some others that were gathered with us, Pastor Michael uh, uh, Jr. And, and a few others last week for Vespers at our home, Crimson Wave. And this song is powerful. In it, I'm going to read the lyrics. In it, recognize the message of righteousness by faith. Oh, now I see the crimson wave, the fountain deep and wide. Jesus, my Lord, mighty to save, points to his wounded side. I see the new creation rise. I hear the speaking blood. It speaks. Polluted nature dies, sinks beneath the cleansing flood. I rise to walk in heaven's own light above the world and sin with heart made pure and garments white and Christ enthroned within. Amazing grace tis heaven below to feel the blood applied and Jesus only, Jesus, no, my Jesus crucified. Friends, as you depart, let the Spirit speak. He is present with us today. If he convicts you of something, ask for forgiveness. If you know you need to wash somebody else's feet and pray with them, go to them and ask forgiveness. Let us be reconciled. Let us stand strong. Let us love one another as Christ has loved us, and let us take advantage of the grace that he offers us today. When you return, the gluten-free people, please see it on this side. Sit every other row so the deacons can serve everybody accordingly. And we have single ladies in the fellowship hall. We have single men down in the youth room that's just below the fellowship hall. So those visiting, you'd go out these doors and you'd make a left. And you go down in a connecting corridor. There's a door that opens up that you can go downstairs to the youth room. If you continue on down, you'll find the fellowship hall on your left. Married couples... You can go out these doors and go out the exit here, and before you go out of the building, turn to the left, go down the stairs, and immediate right, and in the uh, Ukrainian and the Russian Sabbath school speaking class, Sabbath school class, um, there will be for couples there, and the early teen also set up for couples. Let's pray, and let's then dismiss. Gracious Father, thank you for the great sacrifice of your Son. Lord, as we go forth, may your Spirit move our hearts and bind us together as one with you. Bless us now, Father, as we depart for this ceremony and this service. In Jesus' name, amen.